This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Elwana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. I'm glad you're here. As we continue to navigate this unprecedented season together, alone but together, I want to highlight something that I think you should read. In the show notes today, you're going to see a link to an article that Valerie Bell wrote for ResilientDisciples.com. It's entitled, Then Came COVID-19, and Then Came the Greatest Generation of Disciples. Valor connects this generational defining moment that we are all in with moments in history that have defined the previous generations. This article starts a critical conversation about how we as disciple makers are meant to respond to this moment, not just cope with the changes we are facing. We were also joined by Matt Markins and Mike Handler, who shared their perspectives and how their families have been impacted by the coronavirus. They are all disciple makers, but you are a disciple maker. You are a loving and caring adult. You and I and every other person listening to this have an opportunity to help make the greatest generation of disciples. That was true before the coronavirus and that will be true after this pandemic. We're gonna get to that and a lot more, but before we start, a quick housekeeping note. Today marks the official debut of my kids on the podcast. You're gonna hear them in the background of the conversation because they were right here with me as I had the conversation. If nothing else, I hope you hearing me juggle work and my kids makes you feel better about how you're juggling your work and your kids. Matt starts the conversation describing how a couple weeks ago, we all had plans. And now, so much of those plans have changed. Here is episode 23 of the Resilient Disciples podcast. Well, you know, not too long ago, everyone had their plans in place, right? Like three weeks ago, I was supposed to be on a cruise. Well, we didn't go on a cruise. (laughs) We canceled that cruise. That's the last place we want to be right now. But I I think about seniors, uh, high school seniors across the country and really across the world who this is one of the biggest, certainly the biggest year of your life up to age 18. You're thinking high school prom, you're thinking graduation. Well, that's my oldest son. He's a senior this year. So Hmm. the class of 2020 will for uh, forever be known as the the COVID nineteen class. So this is a season of expect unmet expectations. Uh, no no prom for my son. No no high school graduation right away. So yeah, we're we're adju- we're just adjusting our expectations, and we're we're certainly turning toward one another. Uh, having a lot of family game nights, a lot of conversation, and just some good FaceTime together. And Valerie, that's actually exactly how you start the piece. Plans that had to change and the difference in expectations. You know, as you dive into being a few weeks into this coronavirus, um, how, how did you expect to be doing at this point? And how are you doing now? <laughs> I was expecting this would be over by now, hoping it would be over by now. And now I'm at the place where, you know, this, this month, wow, it seems like so much longer than a month. And I'm missing things. I'm missing certain people. Um, I'm even missing like just the regular stuff. Like I'm remembering my parents' church and how they used to sing. This was, you know, 50 years ago. (laughs) I'm missing like regular, regular stuff. And then um, I had a trip. I had an invitation to come and speak in Korea that I was so looking forward to. And nope, Korea didn't happen. Right. Uh, Mike, same question, like different expectations and how do you feel like your family is adjusting uh, to this COVID-19 reality? Yeah, I think like everyone, right? I mean, you just, you, you change plans. You kind of do, uh, you do a, a hard right turn 
And uh, we had a couple things planned. We had spring break. My kids aren't at the age of Matt's necessarily just yet. Uh, ours are a bit younger. He's a little further down the road. But we had spring break plans. We were going to go to uh, Phoenix. We were going to go see some spring training games of the Chicago Cubs. We were going to kind of do an epic little road trip. And that, that had to get sidelined. And then as well, um, you know, not just from a family standpoint, but also from a personal standpoint with one of our kids, you know, we do a 10 year old trip every year and, um, well not every year, but we do a 10 year old trip for each kid when they turn 10. And this year was going to be my daughter as she went and wanted to do a star Wars race together, uh, in Walt Disney world. Well, Walt Disney world for the first time, I think ever shut its doors. Yeah. Uh, outside of a hurricane and things of that nature. So needless to say, that trip got postponed. I think every day my daughter is on Disney Watch to find out when they're going to open again and uh, <laughs> when we might be able to go, but it'll be there. And, uh, and we're all learning to adapt and adjust our expectations accordingly. So I think that's just the thing though, right, Ross? It's, it's, it's COVID-19 isn't just one person's inconvenience. It is how does the world make a shift to either create new expectations or adjust their expectations accordingly. Totally. You know, and Valerie, you make this point about some things that you've learned during the coronavirus so far. Uh, how we're coping. You know, I'm, I'm learning some things about myself and the way that I'm coping. And so, um, you know, a lot of people are doing interesting things. Uh, some people are exercising more. Uh, other people are alphabetizing their spice drawers. That's not me, but I admire it. <laughs> but I, I noticed that my cell phone usage was way up, and I'm, I'm a little embarrassed by that. I don't think that's probably the best way to spend your time during COVID-19. But I learned something. Not the worst either. <laughs> yeah, I learned how to crack my own back from a YouTube chiropractor named Dr. Joe. You know, I don't know how I lived all these years without knowing how to do that. I learned what the top 12 Netflix binges for the week are, how to cute, nice. draw cute animal faces in case my grandchildren want to be entertained on FaceTime with me during this time period. I don't know if they will, but Valerie, my, my kids may want to be entertained by you. <laughs> so just keep up. that skill in the, your back pocket. I think that'd be fun. And then, you know, this always, 10 beauty products that change everything, you know? So um, this short-term uh, impact of COVID-19 is going to be different for everybody. You know, we all, all cope in different ways, but um, the experts are telling us this very little interesting piece here, and that is that the long-term impact of coming to terms with this worldwide pandemic will be universal and shared. For example, things like our shared isolation. Weird. We're to get. We're alone together. I think is the phrase they're using. You know that we right. have this strange way of going about life right now. We share that. Well, what's interesting about that phrase too, Valerie, is that that alone together, uh, which I think was Robert Putnam in Bowling Alone. Uh, that was a phrase that, that was originally just about millennials as they dealt with technology, and now all generations are experiencing that. And I think another thing that we're all experiencing is that all of us are you know, not indestructible. When you're young, you have this idea that you're indestructible. And I think we saw that in some of the early cases with spring breakers who are continuing to go on spring break and, and just ignore the warnings of COVID-19. And, and yet here we are, no one is immune, you know, there, and there's not any cure. There's, there's no medicine that can, you know, fully kind of deal with this. And 
and we don't even necessarily have all access to all the tests or treatments. And this is this is unprecedented in terms of kind of a universal uh, vulnerability that we're all experiencing. Yeah, it, yeah, we are experiencing a lot of these new frightening things together. Um, so here's the question we're tackling because we think that a lot of parents are really wondering about it and it's this, how will this generation of kids be impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? So you guys are fathers, has that gone through your head? Like what are the long-term results of this? Yeah, it's difficult to think through that because obviously we're not profits, right? We don't, we don't know how the whole thing will necessarily shake down. But, you know, I think, I think like every other generation, this, this will have uh, an effect. Uh, I've, I've already heard, you know, Generation C being referred to as the generation that will grow up with, with the effects of COVID-19. Um, that terminology has been thrown around. And, you know, I think for my kids who are younger, um, you know, their, their worldviews will forever be affected by this. They'll, they'll have to make a pivot. And it'll be the time where everything changed for them, where they weren't in school for a while. You know, that'll be the primary marker perhaps or the most immediate, but they will change how things are seen because it's one of those kind of critical periods in their life. Ed Goshen talked about this in a previous episode of the podcast. Um, this is one of those generational defining events. We've, we've been saying that for a long time, but it's unique and different in the sense that we all kind of got that it was a generational defining event. Uh, we, all are, we already got there quickly. You know, we, you know, when 9-11 happened, we were all sort of shocked and didn't quite know what to do for a while before we began to put these thoughts together. But with the coronavirus, we've been able to know pretty early on, this is, this is going to count for a really long time. So I'm curious, Valerie, as you are, as you articulate in the piece, but even more than that, how do, how does this generation defining event compare to previous generational defining events? Because I think it is unique, but there is lessons to be learned from history. Yeah, I take a lot of comfort from what's gone before us and realize uh, that not only do each generational cohort have its own state of being and challenges, but it also comes out of these challenges with unique sets of strengths, uh, unique sets of things that are important to them. So if you if we just go back to my parents' generation, the greatest generation, they were 1910, 1924 in their births, they lived through a lot. Um, they lived through the uh, Great Depression and two world wars. Uh, they experienced, you know, really extreme uh, turmoil socially and economically. And so this gen that generation's psyche was shaped by an ability. This is the positive side of what came out of the terrible things that happened mm -hmm. to them. They were marked with an ability about knowing how to survive. They were survivors. They could make do and solve problems. You know, my parents, being children of the Depression, uh, didn't uh, know that they could just go buy things because that wasn't possible. And so in my basement, when I was growing up, my father had three or four washing machines down there from it, which he would take the different parts and keep one washing machine working. Wow. <laughs> I know. Mm. And, um, and then Steve, my husband's uh, mother, was one of those that saved aluminum foil and plastic bags. You didn't throw those things away. You kept them. You know, it would be actually interesting to see 
how they would handle COVID-19. I think we'd see some major resourcefulness coming out of that generation were they to be with us today. Matt and Mike, you both had baby boomer parents. Let's talk about that generation. Well, there were a lot of them. Uh, you're talking with one of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they were the, the big boom generation after World War II. And they were a competitive generation because there were so many of them. But this is also kind of the birth of the individualistic generation as well. So baby boomers, um, according to Wikipedia, we're very individualistic, driven to succeed, free-spirited, and social cause-oriented. So Gen X, you guys, what are the events that uh, marked your lives? I think for us, collectively, uh, Matt and I, who take pride in our Gen X uh, identity, you know, uh, our generation was was marked not by a singular event, but by a course of de social decisions in some regards, right? So um, we were we were raised, and I'm thinking about other people on our staff who are Gen Xers, we were raised as latchkey kids. We were raised as, you know, the children of, of brokenness a lot of times. You know, I think Gen X came to terms and came to maturity in a very, um, in, a, in an era with a lot less sheen on it, perhaps, if that makes sense. They say you are more peer-oriented than any previous generation. Yeah, I, I resonate with that. You see it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. I think about, I mean, if I may even be so vulnerable and bold here, right? Like, Matt is one of my dearest friends, and we work together, and uh, it's not uncommon for us to, you know, even this weekend when I was doing some DIY, I'm not going to reach out to my family for help on some things. I'm going to reach out to Matt because he's gone through some of this stuff where he knows or I trust him and we have shorthand. Uh, and I would say that's the same with others in our peer group, Matt, wouldn't you? There's, there's just a number of, your tribe is not necessarily your flesh and blood, but it's the people who you identify with and have closeness and, you know, depth of relationship with. Very... It's like the reordering of family. We figured out how to make that work uh, for us socially. And by the way, for all of our listeners, I feel they deserve to know that your shiplap turned out really well. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Well, I couldn't have done it without you. I couldn't have done it without you. Well, you know, just looking at it from a uh, uh, non-Gen X person's viewpoint, uh, I would say that if you want a leadership team that will bleed for each other and who'll pick each other up and cheer each other on, you should hire Gen Xers. Because <laughs> I, see, I see that with all of you guys. It's really very, very neat. Millennials, you know, lots, lots talked about with the millennials. They don't get really a very good rap sometimes. No, we don't. Um, and, <laughs> you know, at, at a certain, to a certain extent, uh, I think we put it on ourselves, right? The greatest generation built the highway system, the millennial generation built apps that make your face look fat. Like there's a, <laughs> there's a difference in usefulness that I think makes those narratives easier to write. You know what the experts say about you? They say that due to- That we ruined a lot of industries. <laughs> I do think you get a bad rap. But um, <laughs> anyway, they say that because of the intense unity in the aftermath of 9-11, that community life is everything, that you are closer to your parents than previous generations were. Yeah, I, I buy that. I think those of us who- almost maybe almost polarized, right? Those of us who have good relations with our parents are probably closer, right? There was a lot of participation trophy and affirming kind of culture that allowed for that closeness. 
realizing that uh, COVID-19 will have a whole generational impact for the rest of their lives, how do you think the church should be cluing themselves in about what's happening to this generation of kids? I think authenticity is winning the day, right? I think churches who are keying in on authenticity, even if that means like doing kind of awkwardly weird things as we've come to know them, like you can have small group over Zoom or, you know, Google Hangouts or whatever. You can do community dinners via virtual communities. And I think that once the church realizes or those churches that have realized that there's a need for genuine spiritual authenticity in this time are the churches that are being the most effective. They're not trying to wow kids or sway families into one thing or another. They're just basically setting out a, a true gospel centric vision and bringing people along into authentic, real relationships. Um, they're able to weep with others. They're able to enjoy you know, sunny days with families in their neighborhoods and in their communities, albeit from a distance, but they're, they're just saying, look, let's just really follow Jesus. Let us, let's display that in our homes because we can no longer subcontract that out to professionals within the church. It's right now, you know, Ed Goshen mentioned this, like every parent now and every grandparent and every aunt and uncle, they're the spiritual models and mentors in their kid's life. There, there's no one else. There, there's no youth pastor, children's pastor who's taken on the brunt of that. It's all of us at this time in our own homes. Well, we had a, we had a lot to navigate before COVID-19, right? So the need for community relationship and authenticity was already high, but then you add in something, something like a global pandemic that's going to have significant impact long term. Like we, we need each other, we need community, and we need that community to be authentic. So, you know, this has come on us so fast that a lot of churches are uh, kind of caught up in the mechanics of how do I deliver a WANA or KidMin programs or how do I deliver the weekend service. Uh, and, and a lot of it kind of is still at the coping stage. How do I cope with uh, this huge change and what's expected of me? And, you know, it's a huge pivot for ministries. It's just huge. Um, but if, is there a way, as I've thought about it, that we can get beyond coping? Is coping the best we can hope for in this challenge that we're facing? I think, I think this is a, I think it's a, sorry, Matt, I think you were going to say something here, but I, I do think that there is a time and place where you have to get past, you know, we're just trying to do this the best we can to say, this is what we're doing now. You know, there, there's a time where coping becomes real life. There's the time where, uh, every startup becomes a business, or every church plant becomes a mature church. And I think that we do, from my standpoint at least, have to get past the coping to say, okay, as a parent, I'm going to embrace this around my house. We're not going to have beautifully orchestrated worship with, you know, fog machines and lights, although I enjoy those types of things or high production. My seven-year-old is going to lead us in worship and we're going to, you know, probably sing the chorus of oceans three times without it necessarily being right, you know, but, but we're going to authentically worship Jesus together. And I think that there's something beautiful in that. And I think once we embrace that, there, there's probably a great freedom to think that I'm not just being a band-aid. I'm actually displaying discipleship in my own home. Well, this is a, this is a time, you know, I did something recently and asked myself, 
where did I know how to do that? Like, where did I learn that? And I thought, I thought back to high school football, like I was doing a, a series of, of activities and I thought that training that I learned 25 years ago just kicked back in. And I, as you asked the question, Valerie, I think this is a time to go back to our training, some of the basics that we've been taught from a child to care for other people, to reach back in to think, we have to think selflessly. We have to think about serving. I think one of my favorite verses in the Bible is the most basic, for God so loved the world that he gave. In that one verse, you have the motivation, which is love, and you have the action, which is give. And so I think this is a time to go back to what we've been trained as individuals, as citizens, as disciples, uh, and this is a time to think about we've got to, to give as a church community. We've got to give and live and love uh, as disciples. And, and I think that's going to be a part of how we have to think going forward is about how we really live it out. I love that. And I also like um, the idea of going forward with the things that we've learned. So if when this is over, we just go back to the things we've missed the, the, the comforting simil, similar types of things. And we don't take into the future the positive things that we've learned about community in the church. You know, we get, we hear so many things right now of um, uh, uh, Awana workers who are calling all the families of the children to find out if they're okay. Well, that didn't happen before COVID-19 in most cases. And it would be really so sad if we dropped that when things go back to normal. So, you know, wonderful to take this season and uh, learn more than coping from it to, to find out what really uh, will help us with this generation of kids. And then I think also to have a very clear goal in mind, not just to cope and get through it, but to say during this period, we are going to set our hearts towards ministering to this generation of kids like no generation before them. We're not going to be blind to their uh, particular needs their, of their generation. And uh, we are going to set our hearts to raising uh, and building the greatest generation of disciples. I absolutely love those words. The greatest generation of disciples. What a, what a picture, what an idea. What, what, what better vision could we have than that right there? So Valerie, I'm curious about your response as well, because in coping, I think there's a lot of people who might feel that coping is all they can do. And you listed an example about calling and ministering to people directly. When you think about beyond coping, what does that look like to you? Well, I see coping on TV all the time, and I caught myself at one point uh, saying this as well. You see people on TV saying, I didn't sign up for this. And I'll tell you, I didn't think I would be trying to lead an important ministry like Awana through such a time. You know, I have used that coping phrase towards God myself. We we need to get over that we didn't sign up for this and that God has strategically placed us with a lot of responsibility, uh, a lot of potential. And then, um, you know, I, I like it that my husband and I have kind of eventually, it took us a while to come up with a scheme. And um, every night we just try to call someone that we think uh, would be maybe surprised to hear from us or an older family member. And we just, instead of watching TV every night, we just, uh, you know, like every other night, we'll just call somebody and have a, a nice long chat. Uh, 
that's that's moving beyond coping and it's it's not a huge plan it's uh, not something that is very out of reach for anybody but I do hope that it establishes new um, patterns for Steve and I that we become much more of the initiators than we were before COVID-19. You alluded to this earlier but I do think that it's helpful for people to begin to recognize too that there is a time after the coronavirus that this is not a forever thing. So as you begin to look at the difference in expectations and getting back to the original plans, what are some things that you've started to do during the coronavirus that you feel like are going to be things that you can continue afterwards? What are some of these habits and practices that can continue to shape the church of 2050 and beyond? Well, I, I think I can speak for Awana. This is a pivot point for us. And uh, we're looking at things like our social media, our outward-facing, public-facing social media, coming through the grid of resilient discipleship because we believe that that's the most critical conversation and pivot that we should be looking at um, in terms of moving forward with the church. Uh, in terms of um, practically, you know, I've got grandchildren and I'm wondering, are they seeing faith in me? Will they look back and miss my faith when I'm gone? Not just miss me, but miss my faith. Like I said at the beginning of this broadcast, I miss my parents' church. I miss the faith that I experienced there. I miss their singing. I miss everything about them because it was real. It was real and it stuck with me. So, you know, I want to be sure when Mike used the word authentic, that I am not only displaying, but experiencing real faith during this time of disbursement. This, this disease has dispersed the church. Sundays like we know it or knew it are no more. And now we have a different kind of church experience. I, Mike, I love what your family did at your house. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was definitely not something we would have done if we were had been at church at the time. Uh, but we we took some painter's tape and took uh, advantage of Palm Sunday and went outside um, after worship and prayer and put a little stained glass looking cross on the ground and some hearts around it and some very abstract design. And uh, even took the opportunity to write some messages to our neighborhood and to, pass, to uh, people passing by. Uh, some of it was really simple, right? Just some even jokes on the ground to invite people in to, to, to provide joy and to provide some inspiration. And the cross, I mean, I'll, I'll brag on my daughters here. They did a great job at Aaron. It was her idea, my wife's idea, but it is beautiful. And it's one of those things where people who walk down our street, they stop. And it just provides not just a moment of beauty and inspiration, but we'd like to think that everybody who stops we you know when we kind of are creepers and we're looking out our window at them right we we say a little prayer for them we say okay god like let, let the reality of the cross be be something that's very present and real in their lives and and for our girls right it was just an exercise in art and expression which you know they are all inclined to be that way anyway but it was also one of those things where it's like this is just a very simple beautiful way to put our faith on display for everyone um, and to be there in the midst of a time where we can't, you know, necessarily go to our next door neighbor and say, how can we pray for you? Uh, at least not under six feet away, you know, like, but this is something that we can do, put it out there and just have fun together. Just be beautiful in the midst of this kind of chaotic, uh, ugliness that is this virus sweeping our, our world. This question might be influenced by how many times I've watched Frozen 2 over, uh, <laughs> 
But I'm, I'm thinking about the person who is listening to this, being encouraged by what you guys are saying. They read your piece more than once, Valerie. And they're thinking, okay, like I know that this is a generational defining moment. What's the next right thing? What's the next right thing for a parent or for a Kidman leader right now um, to be able to make the greatest generation of disciples? You know, Ross, I think for, for, for myself, and I'll just speak for my family right now, our next right thing is just to demonstrate faithfulness in, in, in the midst of difficulty. Um, it's to faithfully have dinner together where I'm not going to be late because I'm not coming home from work other than coming down a flight of stairs, cracking open the Psalms together and reading through that at dinner, no matter how chaotic the day has been and not allowing weariness or anything like that to be an excuse because quite frankly, I'm not commuting. I'm just, I'm, I'm just walking downstairs and it's being okay for the imperfections and authenticity to, to win the day, you know, my wife and I are both working from home right now and trying to teach school to our kids and, and doing other things. And, and hopefully for us, the next right thing is just to demonstrate the joy of Jesus in the midst of stress and anxiety and, and unknown, you know, types of reality that we're living in. Um, I wish it was something a little bit more prescriptive and great for everyone, but I, I really do think it's just, living authentic faith in the midst of, you know, confusion and difficulty. I thought of, Ross, I thought of conversation, which is a way I think to live out that authenticity. You know, it's never conversation. It's never too early and it's, and it's never too late. Uh, it, when, if your kids are 18 months and you're thinking, Oh, I don't want to talk to them about faith. They're, they're too young. I'll kick that down the road until they're older. Well, what's going to happen is you're going to wait till they're older and then you're going to feel awkward because you haven't brought this into your life. Start, start from their earliest days. Talk to them about the wonder of God, knowing that they, they can't even comprehend what you're saying. But days turn into months, which turn into years, and you're, they're going to be so used to hearing you talk about the wonder of Jesus and how amazing he is. And then if, you're, if your kids are 15, 16, 17, and you've never talked to them about your faith, perhaps the best way to, best way to live out that authenticity is just to, just to be honest and say, I've really goofed, and I, I should have talked to you about something that was really important to me. And I apologize that I've not done that, but it starts today. And I, and I want to tell you about some things that are very important to me. So I think we can live out that authenticity by talking about it. And if you've not started, start today. I love that. I like, yeah, I like that too. I, I guess, Ross, I'd say uh, I might take a little bit different um, tact on this, but I think this is now the time to be open to the world's pain and not to be sheltered away in our homes where we're not understanding what's happening in our communities and to uh, the people who are living around us. And it's such a weird thing that we're untouched in a way in our homes but at the same time, there's so much uh, tragedy and loss happening right near us. It's a strange war to be in. But anyway, to be open to the world's pain and, and by doing so, to be able to form our hearts to God's heart. You know, what is, I'd much rather people would say, what is God saying during this time to me than what is Valerie Bell saying to us at this time? You know, because I'm seeking God's heart too. Um, and then I think with children, here's something. Don't be afraid to pray for miracles. 
Don't be Amen. afraid that God won't come through somehow. You know, that we should always pray for the healing of this world, that, that God will put an end to this virus, and that uh, children's lives, people's lives all around the world will be spared. And then also, um, I think just as we open our hearts to other people's pain, uh, we should open our hearts back up to the church and our brothers and sisters in Christ and love each other more openly, more expressively than we did before. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making the podcast happen. And thank you for listening. I'll talk to you on Thursday.